Welcome to the Brand Ambassadors, your wide-angle look at the field of PR and what it means for your company. Your host is Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield. Every firm has a compelling narrative that sets them apart from the crowd. In your company, you can use your own background and storytelling to your advantage as well as that of your business. Now, here are your hosts, Merritt Hamilton Allen and Gary Potterfield. Good morning and welcome to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen and Gary Potterfield is off for the next two weeks. He is enjoying some uh, well-deserved vacation time in Sicily. I just got a message from him. He'll uh, He's going to listen on demand between food, drink, and naps, so... Thanks, Gary. But that's okay, because we have plenty of people up and awake and moving early this morning. I'm joined by Rachel O'Sullivan and Emily Gerdick. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, Good morning. Mary. Oh, pardon me. I had a little cough there. Uh, Rachel is our director for uh, the West Coast at Vox Optima, and Emily is our director for business development. So you're probably thinking, oh, we're just going to show up for Vox Optima. Oh, no. You're not going to be so lucky. This week... And the last couple of weeks, I think, have gotten to me a little bit, to Emily and to Rachel. And so, fair warning, we're going there. We're going to talk about the hashtag MeToo movement. Uh, in particular, though, I want to talk about some of the lessons the three of us have learned in the workplace. Uh, we work, as uh, you may know by Vox Optimus background, we work in a very uh, male-dominated industry in the defense industry. And Rachel and I specifically have had some experiences uh, with the Navy in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, kind of culminating in tailhook, that really set the tone for a huge culture change in the Navy. And the Navy did, I think, a lot of things right. They did some things wrong. And so what I want to do is talk a little bit uh, about uh, what the, what we've learned from our Navy experience, what we've learned from our workforce experience that could be applied to 2018 and the, uh, uh, the, the situation we have. Uh, you are please, uh, please. Uh, you are welcome to send comments or questions to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com during the broadcast. Uh, please keep it polite. Uh, I think everybody is tense. Um, I'm certainly angry at a lot of things and no one in general. So uh, I think emotion emotions ride high on this topic. So uh, I'm just going to start off. Uh, I was, uh, my very first duty station in the Navy was overseas in the Philippines at what was pretty much known as the wildest base uh, in the Navy, possibly the military, at uh, Naval Air Station, QB Point, and Subic Bay. And I was coming out of a very conservative Catholic university and thrown into an environment where I was discovering that peers of mine or people who are a few years older than I, who had, you know, gone through ROTC or whatever, had very similar backgrounds to mine, kind of thought paying 16-year-olds for sex was okay in a foreign country. And I can't tell you what a shock that was for me and what it was like coming to terms with that and then trying to be their peer. At the same time, two months after I reported for duty, something happened in Las Vegas called Tailhook. And it was a, an Navy Aviation Convention, uh, just egregious misbehavior. Um, and one of the female pilots who uh, uh, was assaulted uh, 
finally said, I've had enough and stood up and, and blew the whistle. And that really, I think, changed the Navy uh, and how it looked at uh, uh, the roles, of uh, gender roles in the military. But leading into that, Rachel, I want to ask you, uh, bef- before Tailhook, you had a really odd experience on a court-martial board in 1988. Tell me about that. Well, well, this was, you know, as you said, back in 1988, and I was stationed um, on board a, a ship. I was on the first wave of females who were serving on board ships, and that was definitely a culture change for the Navy. Um, and, I, and I want to note that you just I want to note that you just I want to note that you just said females. That was a very Navy thing. Is we were not men and women. We were males and females. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't they room to the female head. It, it was a matter of ignoring differences, but yet you can't ignore. Uh, you, you just couldn't ignore gender. I mean, it was there was a lot that had to be adjusted for women to serve on board ships. Everything from from birthing to logistics. Uh, to plumbing, to everything. It was just a different, uh, it, it was definitely a sea change, ha-ha. Anyway, so um, we, uh, I was uh, working with this, this gal, I knew this, this woman, and uh, she had been dumped by this guy, a sailor on the ship, and uh, that was also when... She was dating a nice, As long as you weren't in your chain of command. So... Right. Yeah, but it's also different, if I can for a minute, minute, um, they're dating, uh, but it's also weird because on a ship, it's like they're living together. Well, but we were in, okay, it was a submarine tender, so we were in port a lot, so a lot of people have places out in town, but yes, when you get underway, there's, you know, it's it's kind of an intimate environment at, at the very least. So she broke so, up with her boyfriend. Um, anyway, she she was dumped by him, and then she decided to report that she had been raped by him. And anyway, um, but she had already said that she was going to ruin his life, and that's why I ended up being on, you know, witness for the defense. And it, anyway, it turns out that she was not raped. She did recant her story, and after you know during the court martial, but. She was ready to ruin this guy's life, and she accused him of one of the most egregious, most disgusting crimes of rape. And it, it was shocking to me how much power she had at that time. It, it was, and she was automatically believed by, you know, by the chain of command, by, and he, this, young man. He completely denied anything had happened. He did confirm that they had had a relationship, but he did not rape her on the ship or anywhere else, as it turned out. And so that was my first experience with, with a false allegation. It was, it was shocking. It truly was. So, Rachel, what do you think the culture was on the ship after that? And how do you think that, um, that impact impacted how you kind of felt about these types of accusations in the future and going forward? Gosh, you know, it, I don't think that you should just base a decision uh, or base your opinion just because of someone's gender. I think you really have to look at who the person is. Um, And 
you know, obviously you can't know everybody, um, but if you do know somebody and you know their character and you've known them for years or you work with them, you know, you know their family, or I, I think exactly. that we are so quick to, to throw down the guilty, the guilty um, verdict that we forget that sometimes there are false allegations. And it did change a lot of relationships on the ship. As we were saying earlier, you know, sometimes you have to look at, at people over the long term, you know, not, not one reported incident. Um, you need to look at 30 years worth of, of you know, behavior and, and allegations and how you've personally been treated by the person. I think that does impact um, how you feel about it. Well, you know, but I will say this is that, you know, two years later, Tailhook comes along and so I think um, I think I was personally uh, primed for change when when it happened. I I saw I saw the changes that the military that the Navy in particular had you know incorporated as as good things. What what did you think, Merritt, when they were incorporated? Did you see a difference there in in the Philippines? Well, yeah. And one one note I want to make up just on your story. The hard thing is for every false allegation. There's a true one. And exactly. I, th- I think yeah. as women, we tend to feel like, oh, well, um, we had this false allegation, so we need to tiptoe around it. And so, yeah, when, when Tailhook broke and they described the party atmosphere at the Tailhook convention, I'm like, have you all been to the Oak Club here at QB Point? Because Tailhook's nothing like what's going on out here in the Philippines. And I, I had... Uh, the, the, the dubious distinction of not only being the public affairs officer, but the equal opportunity officer. And, yeah, and um, the Navy took, uh, took, uh, took this seriously because, you know, it was announced in the press, so, of course, the Navy had to act. And we had a mandatory eight-hour sexual harassment prevention stand-down. And there were slides mm-hmm. sent. And, of course, this is 1991, so this is before digital and PowerPoint. So we got a bajillion transparencies that uh, of gobbledygook. And I was 21, and the 26-year-old staff judge advocate, uh, also uh, uh, a female officer, and I uh, were charged with uh, putting this on. And, and the material was, and the material was just so bad. Um, it, it, it was frustrating, and so what we quickly did is Lindy and I just adapted it. We we knew the situation we were in, and I think that's a point I want to make: is you have to know the culture of your organization, and you have to know what's yes. you know what's possible and what the culture should be. I'm not saying you know there there is kind of a lovely um, uh, uh, sailors on liberty. Uh, 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 out on the town, you know, th- that's part of the culture. You can, you can, and you can have that culture without being sexually offensive. Yeah. So we've got to go into break. I want to talk a little bit more. Maybe Emily can lead us through um, uh, some discussions on, because I, I think it was a good 10, 15 years for the Navy to recover uh, from tail hook. And uh, I want to talk, I definitely want to talk uh 
uh, about that was if you want to join the conversation, please uh, send us an email at brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com. I'm Merritt Allen talking with Rachel O'Sullivan and Emily Gerdick, and we're talking about Me Too in the Workplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom-line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program Welcome back to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen, joined by Emily Gerdick and uh, Rachel O'Sullivan. We're talking about Me Too, but we're talking about in the context of uh, another large sexual harassment scandal that reshaped uh, an organization of hundreds of thousands of people. And we're talking about Tailhook and the U.S. Navy. And I just want to go through some of the things that happened. You know, we had the Tailhook investigation. It went on forever. Um uh, many, many uh, interviews taking place, media firestorm. And I, I'll never forget, in the midst of it, um, there was a very outspoken congresswoman and uh, 
basically calling for everybody's head on a platter. And some, some brilliant uh, naval aviation minds it, uh, at what was then Naval Air Station Miramar, which you might remember as the primary setting for the movie Top Gun, uh, they had a party and had a big banner with an obscene saying about the congresswoman. And you know what? <laughs> this is going to shock you. She found out about it. And you know what? And there was no social media back then, so you know it must have been pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, she found out about it because it wasn't very subtle. And you know what? Miramar got put on the brack list, and the Navy didn't get to have Miramar anymore. Um, Everything has a reaction, yeah. And it seemed to me after that, you know, the heels were dug in really strongly, on the on the boys will be boys side and hey we're just uh letting loose steam we're uh we're having a good time we have a very high stress occupation and all that's true and all that's true but now you're bringing women into it and what the the navy uh accelerated the integration of women into combat aviation ahead of every other warfare specialty and women on carriers and because of tailhook, I mean, this, this is four and five years after the scandal, but it was still such a hot button issue. One thing I got tired of, it seemed like every time, you know, a woman hiccuped, it would be like Navy Lieutenant hiccups for the first time in the Pentagon and be a news story. Yep. Because the first time a woman did, woman did anything, she sneezed in a meeting, um, and, and that got tiresome. And I'll never forget, uh, I was taking media out to the first carrier that deployed with a uh, fully integrated, gender-integrated crew. And uh, the reporter was desperate to talk to a female physician on board. So we got her one. And uh, all the reporter wanted to talk about was women menstruating on ship and was that really difficult. And the doctor, you know, the doctor just looked at me like she wanted to choke me for dragging her into this. She was, she was having none of it. And she said, well, generally, you know, we give people who are uncomfortable Motrin and tell them to go back to work because pretty much um, women have periods on shore duty as well and come to work every day. It became almost think- pandering at yes. one point, I thought. Um, and that's tiresome. You know, when you're constantly in the spotlight for you're basically doing your job. You joined to do a job. You didn't you didn't join just because you're a woman trying to make a statement. You you know, you people join the military for a, a variety of reasons and they're usually the same reasons regardless of their gender. So it was it it just it it made it worse. It actually made it worse, in my opinion, to be pandered to. Every time there is another tailhook issue or another sexual harassment issue in the first half of the 90s, somebody who I worked with, who I never considered except as another person um, wearing khaki polyester, would say, oh, well, I need to get a third person into this meeting because I can't meet with you um, in my office alone. What? And and like like it's my... Like, like it's my fault and they're protecting themselves from um, a sexual harassment complaint. And so in some ways, the backlash was just to make women more the other and more the outsider. And that's what I'm really afraid that the Me Too movement is going to do in the workplace in 2018 is the mindset is every interaction with a woman is a potential uh, threat to your career. 
I think a lot of yeah, people and, and that's, are feeling that way. Um, that and that's scary because you know, especially for younger women coming in now, it's a it's a different environment, and um, you know, you're you're trying to make make your make your start in your career, and you have men who are worried about you know getting in trouble with you, and you're not sure if I should be here or if I should go there or should I talk to this person or should I not? It's it's a very tough thing to navigate, and I think. Now we give more young women more tools to to handle those types of things, but it's just uh, it's well, very. Well, Emily, you got into know. defense just, contracting when you were in your twenties. How did you find? I it was young. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was fairly young. Um, I came out of I came out of very different environment. I came out of a retail advertising environment, which is which was very very. Um, Women friendly. It was very the, all of the senior, the senior leaders of the organization were mostly men, but most of the advertising executives, the buyers, the stylists were all women. And um, I stumbled over to contracting, um, and it was it was tough. Um, there was very few young women. Um, we were it was well known which men you talked to and who you didn't talk to. Um, there was men who were safe to hang out with on travel and men who were not safe to hang out with on travel. And it was very interesting to see how the younger women and, and the more senior women banded together to kind of make sure you were protected. Um, and I still think there's a little bit of that um, in general, although I do think the industry has changed drastically in well, the, the almost 15 years I've been in it. Emily's a lot younger than Rachel and I are, so she's talking about stuff within the last within the last ten, twelve years. That yeah. this is this is still this is this is still a thing, because I tend to feel like, oh my God, the bad old days of the eighties and nineties. God, we've come so far. Because to me, I declared victory in the Navy when they integrated women onto surface combatant ships because they did it without any press. And I was like, finally, yeah. it's just normal. It's just a thing to do. Okay, we're done. Yeah. Fixed. Everything's fine. Uh, I think the way the Army integrated women into Ranger School was brilliant. They really protected those women and their identities so they did not become media showpieces. But still, Emily, to your point, I'll never forget a client I uh, had as a contractor. I left the Navy and became a contractor. And I was meeting with, uh, I had a business meeting with a former client. And he'd been uh, a Navy captain, um, uh, government client. I'd been uh, doing PR for him. We, he retired from the military and I went to meet with him um, at uh, uh, you know, his, his new office and we, we were with his boss and I was with a colleague. Um, actually, I'm, I'm just going to, I'll, uh, I'll name names. I was with uh, Bob Combs and we all know Bob oh. and he oh, knew the boss Bob. and this is yeah. in Norfolk. And um, I'm not going to name the company, but I will name the person. Um, so we have a good meeting, and you guys know I'm kind of flamboyant. I'm a hugger, and I'm a kisser, and uh, so we finished the meeting I thought was really good, so I gave C.W. Chesterman uh, a nice hug and said, hey, we're hugging now, right? And then he grabbed my ass. Uh, In front of his We are hugging. We're not doing that. <laughs> right, and there's bosses. Th his boss is there. Bob's there. No one sees anything. And I basically turned, and he said something smarmy. And I turned, and I said, if you ever touch me again. Uh, I, actually, what I said is, don't ever touch me again. And I walked out in front of him, and then um, 
we called his boss later and told him what happened. But, you know, I was, I was so shocked. That was probably, gosh, that, that was in the last 10 years, um, probably around 2010. I was so shocked because I felt, you know, I had started my own company. I was an executive. And the fact that some um, um, cretin could decide that in, in, in honor of taking a meeting with me and introducing me to his boss, he could feel me up. I was done. Well, Merritt, to your point, um, I have always felt that, because, um, you know, obviously I've been in defense contracting now for, golly, uh, 15, 16 years, and I felt that I encountered more of the creep, the the guys that, um, and, and of course, you know, working these very, again, male-dominated, I thought I was really well-prepared because of having, you know, been in the Navy, and and. I wasn't. I was harassed more as a contractor than yes. I and ever was Navy. as a sailor. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, the uniform really, really. I was never in the Navy and um, or any of the military services. And I came out of. Like, uh, as, as Merritt said, you know, a, a little bit different environment in terms of um, ages and what's appropriate and what's not and, and how these things have progressed. And I, I kind of feel the same way as Rachel. I was kind of surprised at the things that, that people said and got away with. And, you know, I realized it, all of a sudden it was a, it, I, my eyes were opened. I was like, people talk like this? They say things like this? Um, but I did find it interesting. A lot of the women I worked with were very good at pushing back um, on on these types of conversations and and standing up for themselves. And I think that is something that's kind of changed a little bit. Um, we we are much more adept at saying, "Hey, as Merritt said, don't touch me. Hey, you know, I don't want to hear that. Hey, let's this conversation's done. I'm out." Um, well, things have changed, you know, but, when yeah, I was did a, a trade show in Hawaii, I was the only woman from my company who went, and afterwards we're sitting around having, you know, drinks at the end of the day, and my boss says to me, he says, well, you know, Rachel, he said, it's really to your credit that nobody felt like they had to hire a booth babe this year. We have you. <sighs> and I know he thought he was being complimentary, but it was, it was shocking that he said that. Yeah. And... Yeah, I had that experience with uh, my previous company, which was an it was a marine engineering firm, and I'm standing in a trade show booth, and someone comes up and asks to speak just for someone who who really works for the company. And I find, and you know, I was in my uh, uh, early 30s then. I said, "Look, I, I don't know if you know anything about my company, but we're not large enough to hire um, a, a booth babe. And if we had the money, we'd find someone younger and thinner than I am." <laughs> it was it was so mad it was so maddening. Um, we've got to go to break uh, in thirty seconds. So uh, I hope you'll join the conversation with Rachel O'Sullivan, Emily Gerdick, and me. We're talking about uh, Me Too, and what I want to talk about in the next two segments is is how you manage that culture, how you set expectations for the culture you want in your company, and how you make sure all your employees and your coworkers know what that culture is going to be and what's acceptable and what's not. So you're listening to the Brand Ambassadors. Come back, uh, come back and join us after the break. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom-line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program Welcome back to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton-Allen, joined by Emily Gerdick and uh, Rachel O'Sullivan. And we're talking about, I guess, uh, me too is the easiest way to say it, but I'm going to talk about uh, gender roles and uh, company culture and um, how how you set the expectations for what's uh, accepted in your workplace or not. And, you know, we were just we just kind of used the last segment to talk about some of the bad old days and some of the things um, each each of us have been through in the workplace. And we're agreeing that the private sector, it's much worse out here than in the military. Oh, my gosh. Uh, And, you know, I one thing I I tend to do and um, it's just my own defense mechanism is when something really egregious happens. Now I tend to kind of sit on it. And I wait until I need that information. Um, I make it clear, you know, that uh, the behavior is not acceptable. But I find many times there comes a time, and it could be a security clearance um, 
uh, interview. It could be a discussion on whether to continue with a specific contractor or not. And I have found that having a really unpleasant experience like that is something that's relevant to these matters. Not that I'm hurt or I want retribution or I want to, let's the phrase everyone's using this week, destroy someone's life. But I think sometimes when you have to make decisions based on a person's character, it's important to know these things. Like uh, 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 someone, uh, a married guy making uh, a pass at you, a married woman on travel in a pretty unflattering way. Um, so I, uh, I think there are, there are all individual defense mechanisms that we're all talking about, but one thing, Rachel, I appreciated you said over the break, we don't have this problem at Fox Optima. No, no, we don't. We don't. Um, I think you've, I think you've picked well, but I also, um, I, I think that in a company like ours, uh, that's not so massive. That isn't um, where we all do know each other, where we have close relationships, but not inappropriate relationships. Um, I think that we've all uh, become more of a family. I've never really been able to say that, uh, you know, about any other civilian positions that I've held. I felt more on the defense, um, working in defense, to be honest. And so I appreciate uh, personally, and I don't even know if it's if if the if it's something that men are evolving uh, to to where it's not so sexist of of a of an environment anymore. Since I don't work at any other companies, I think I I I, I still think we're special. I I still think we're we're not uh, typical. What do you think, Emily? Well, I think. And I think, too, you're seeing a lot more women in defense contracting and leadership positions. There's a lot more women as program managers. There's a lot more women as directors of companies. Um, I mean, Merritt and I know a couple of women who are running entire businesses. They, they started these large businesses because they, they found the need and they needed to work in the way they wanted to work, and they started a business. Um, so there's a lot more Women, I also think, I do think it's a little bit generational. Um, you know, the, the defense contracting industry has somewhat always been a good old boys network, and that's changing. Um, I see that a lot in the business development world. It used to be very, very heavily weighted towards people who had retired from senior positions in the military, and now it's shifting to a a younger, more aggressive um, sales-type crowd. Um, and that's a blend of men and women. You still see mostly men, but there's a lot of women working, not necessarily in defense, but when you get into the other branches of government, you're seeing so many more women um, doing these sales positions, doing these, um, these higher-up positions. I have a couple friends who are directors at large businesses, um, so I do think that's shifted, and I think that will continue to shift a little bit um, as, you know, as as this, I guess, I don't want to use the term Gen X, but as Gen X moves into more leadership positions. I also think a little bit that things, and Rachel and I have talked about this this week as well, you know, things that, that were acceptable 20, 30 years ago, people don't do them anymore. Um, things that, you know, some of the stuff we did in high school and college, um, it just doesn't happen anymore, and it's it's not it's it, the entire environment has has changed and shifted. 
Um, I, I feel completely comfortable at Vox. I think we have a good team. Um, as I said during the break, um, I've got uh, one of our teammates is one of my son's emergency contacts, and it, he's he's a guy. Um, I've, and I've always said that the couple of Vox employees that live nearby me would are, you know, excellent emergency contacts. If you needed something, they're always there. Um, and that's that's a shift, um, which I think is great. Um, I do think the larger businesses, like where I first started out in contracting, you know, it's it's a different environment. It's not as much of a family-type organization. It doesn't have as much of a feel. You don't know each other as well, um, which I do think makes it a little bit easier to be more combative in these types of situations. Well, you know, and uh, and thank you for, you know, the, the gratifying comments that Vox Optum is an awesome place to work. But, you know, it's something that Gary Potterfield and I are super sensitive to. You know, we have a very... Um, well, it, we, it's very unique, and you're a fit. Uh, most people are a fit, we think, but sometimes we've had folks who aren't. Not for any of the reasons we're talking about today, but that's something Gary and I look at very seriously. If there is an argument, I hear about it. Uh, Gary hears about it. We talk through it. Um, and yep. we've written our HR manual to kind of reflect our values as a company of adults where there's a certain level of trust. But there's also accountability. And I think if you are a small to medium business and you don't have, maybe you don't have a dedicated HR department, maybe you don't have um, corporate counsel and you read all these Me Too stories, you could get kind of panicky. But um, I'm here to tell you, one, um, I can can help you with this. Um, I think one thing that's helped us a lot, um, you guys know Daryl, I'm married to an, an employment attorney. And uh, yeah. uh, who uh, you know happens to have four sisters, and uh, he's uh, uh, a seriously uh, good dude for a number of reasons. But um, he's also very no nonsense when it comes to issues like this. And when we talk about it, when Daryl and I talk to other companies about it, and we are available for consultation, um, you know, what is your culture? Are you are you a cocktail lounge? Are you a public library? Are you a daycare center? What what is what's your job? Who are your clients? What are, what are the expectations? Because whether you're a cocktail lounge or a daycare center, everybody you want everybody to feel safe and happy and want to come to work. That's the culture you have to create. Yep. And that doesn't mean that every person Absolutely. you hire is going to, yeah, not every person you hire is going to be perfect. And so people have to have some understanding of what the um, uh, expectations are and what the culture is. And you have to define that culture. You have to make sure it's very clear that you communicate to your employees what that culture is. And should you have an incident, you need to have the mechanisms in place in advance so that people know where to go, how to report it, how to take care of it. Because one thing I think and the Navy does like with is, is you solve this on the lowest level. And you got to see, can we make this disagreement work at the worker-to-worker level where it happened? Can we resolve this? And the answer is not always. But, you know, you have to... Um, you have to look at the people involved. You have to use judgment. Um, it, it's. Uh, I, I think it can be. Uh, I think it can be a tough thing, but uh, I, I think the main thing. And then when you get larger, um, you know, we're twenty people. It's easy. And Vox Optima, 
we're talking all the time, so I think expectations are known. And we certainly don't have a Pollyanna culture. We're a bunch of Navy people. Things get pretty crude. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I'll tell you, the instant anyone <laughs> said, I'm offended, or called me and said, I was really uncomfortable like that, we'd stop. Um, and I think we try to be mindful uh, of our employees, especially as we've been around so long and we're bringing in new employees. Uh, it's very important that people feel comfortable. And if it's, if something uh, isn't funny uh, or uh, makes, makes you uncomfortable or you don't understand, you know, we, we want to talk you through that. It certainly is harder when you get to 50, 100, when you don't know every single person at the company well. Uh, I think that's when it can get a little fraught with peril. But again, I think... I think one thing with know. the Me Too movement is um, that... It, it's, again, uh, a, the pendulum is, is far over again. We, have a, we need to get back into more of a, a middle. Um, every, when everything becomes sexual harassment, when everything becomes abuse, um, it's very hard to weed out the serious, the, the serious allegations against an oversensitivity. And I think that... Um, again, clear expectations about what is and isn't allowed is, um, you know, the first step. But I also think that um, that people do have an obligation, if they are upset or if they are uncomfortable, to, to talk it through first before before going so far to call the press or to post it on social media or, you know, somehow else make it so public that it's harder to come back from. Um, I think that's something that is that we're seeing and um, playing out right now in the media. Sometimes, sometimes all you have to do is say, "Hey, I didn't like that," or "Hey, that wasn't that wasn't cool," and you know, people will be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm sorry," or you know, move on. Um, but I, I'm with you, Rachel. I think sometimes we blow things up real quick that maybe can be handled amongst ourselves. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. At the Absolutely. lowest level possible, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that, and exactly. you know, and let's not be let's not be uh, sappy. Uh, you know, not everybody is going to be best friends in the workplace. You don't have to uh, be chummy chummy to get work done, um, but you do have to have a common mission and be polite. Uh, we're coming up on our last segment. Um, we've got uh, one more break. I hope you'll send your questions and comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com. I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen. I'm talking with Rachel O'Sullivan and Emily Gerdick about Me Too and the 2018 workplace. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima. 
our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program Welcome back to our final segment of this uh, week's episode of The Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton-Allen talking with Emily Gerdick and Rachel O'Sullivan. And, you know, on the break, you both brought something up that I, I want to touch on. A lot of organizations try and be proactive to assess the climate and the culture in their organization. Uh, but sometimes those efforts fall flat. And, Emily, I was really interested in what you were des- uh, describing um, uh, uh, with, with, with an experience of uh, surveys that go nowhere. Yeah. We've, we've heard a little, uh, it's, it's a little scuttlebutt, but um, from some of our clients about, you know, their organization has a lot of issues and they do these surveys and there's such a fear of retribution from the personnel that they don't respond to the surveys. And, you know, when it when you don't respond and try to bring these things up, it's just office office gossip that just keeps perpetuating. Well, shouldn't that, shouldn't there that is an issue. Shouldn't it's that be an indicator that you have official channels? If no one if no one responds, shouldn't you take that as a crisis? I, I mean, that's how I would take I it. Would if we think so. 
Yeah, and, and I would maybe look at, you know, why. why people aren't answering the surveys. Right. Yep. <laughs> well, and, and fear of retribution is a legit reason to not respond, but at the same time, they're anonymous paper surveys you drop in a box. So um, unless they're fingerprinting them, I'm not sure how they're going to know who responded. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, Rachel and I were saying, too, it's a good way to, to sort of anonymously bring up things. Not everyone is comfortable calling people out, and that's fine. Um, and maybe, you know, this is a good way, but if you, if you don't do anything, you're just, you know, kind of perpetuating the problem. Um, so I do think it's interesting when companies try to survey and, and don't get responses or, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you find out the culture? Like you said, in a large, a large business where you may not know everyone and there may be issues you don't hear about. Um, and I think surveys are a good way to do it, but, um, you know, employees may not think the same way. And, you know, sadly, employee gossip is a good way to get information. Um, but it's right. not always the best information or the right information. Right, right. Or, or the uh, most neutral uh, information. But, you know, the other thing is you can get survey-weary or survey-biased uh, because there's also the problem of putting out a survey and then taking exactly no action on any of the items that came up. Well, it was like I was saying, my son, who's, you know, a Marine Corps infantryman, he's only been in a few years, and he has literally received between six and eight SAPER questionnaires since... What's SAPER? Oh, uh, Sexual Assault Prevention... <sighs> Let's see, SAP. Well, anyway, it's, it's, it's the Military um, Sexual Assault Prevention Force, so, so to speak. So... He keeps getting all of these, and I tell him, I say, kid, you got to, you know, fill them out. They, they want this information. He said it's not going to go anywhere. You know, of course, he, you know, he knows everything because he's been in a couple of years, but um, finally got him to fill it out. And that, I, feel, I think he's like so many other kids that age is that, it, well, first of all, it was a paper survey, um, not something online, so maybe that's part of it, but... Um, I don't think that they they think they have a voice. They don't see any results of the survey, so they don't think they have a voice. So why fill it out? Yeah, and I also think for the for the Marine Corps and some very male dominated um, specialties in the military. I mean, are there any women in Danny's unit? No. Not <laughs> that can also be that can also be a challenge. And I know Saber is. I know. I know the program is also supposed to focus. Um, it's not just uh, men and women harassing each other, assaulting each other. It can be uh, women and women, men and men. I, I understand all that. But that calls. We were doing uh, twenty-seven years ago the sexual harassment stand down for Marine barracks at, uh, in the Philippines. And this okay. this kid raises his hand and says, um, "Ma'am." you're the first woman I've ever seen in uniform. I'm like, well, because you haven't been to the hospital yet. But, <laughs> and, uh, he says, <laughs> but he says, you know, how does this even apply to me? I've never, seen, I've never seen a female Marine since I got here. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's very much how it is for, for my son, except when he deployed last year yeah. on the ship. So that was his first time ever working around women, being around women in the workplace. But, but typically, no. Typically, he, there's no women in his unit. There's no women out in his barracks. There's, he, it's a very male-dominated culture that he lives in. So he doesn't see the value because he doesn't think it affects him. 
And I do think too often um, that agency-wide Department of the Navy or uh, the Marine Corps at the headquarters level are probably writing surveys that answer a lot of concerns for the E-ring of the Pentagon, but are not relevant to um, a young Marine in Camp Pendleton. No, exactly. They don't feel like it's relevant. It doesn't. It doesn't even, um, you know, interest them or or affect them in any way, and therefore it doesn't exist to them. Yep. Well, uh, we, we all just need to be nice people. <laughs> yeah, just, just that, and, you know, that was my favorite thing um, uh, was, um, and this came from, um, a later Navy response uh, on this type of tra- pre- prevention um, training. But if you're about to say something that you wouldn't say to your best friend, a parent, a sibling, a child, don't say it at work. If you have any, if you have any questions, like oh, I never, I'd never say this. Um, uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd never say this to Kathy. I'd never say this to mom. I'd never say this. To, then just shut, shut up. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Be polite. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. You just try to be nice people. And like you said, if it's not something you think, it, it you know, getting back to that, I, my mom used to say, uh, you know, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. And, you know, <laughs> that's kind of it. Um, just be nice people and you won't fall into these, these issues, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would definitely. People the way that you would want to be treated. Treat them with dignity and with respect. And I think that if we just kind of put aside some of the gender um, situations for a while and just, just be people, just be coworkers, um, I think that, I, and I, this goes, you know, for men and women, I think that we would have a much better society overall. Well, well agreed. And what, one thing um, we touched on earlier, and I really want to emphasize um, as especially, again, I mean, Facebook is just makes me want to vomit right now with all the stuff, uh, the histrionics that are being posted. Um, don't make this, don't make the Me Too women's, Me Too movement somehow women's fault. Don't decide, oh, every interaction I have with a woman in the workplace is potentially career-ending. Um, I really, I really hope we avoid that. I think that could be the, I think that's, to me, the biggest risk, and especially out of the hearings yesterday and this whole mess in Congress, um, I'm very concerned that women are going to find themselves shut out and put into otherness again just by uh, speaking out. So to... Uh, all of our uh, professional and uh, uh, business listeners out there trying on that trap. And we, uh, boy, the show's gone by fast. And um, uh, we didn't get any hate mail, so that's good. So uh, thank you so much. Hey. Emily, <laughs> thank you, uh, Rachel Sullivan. Um, uh, please join us next week uh, on The Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton-Allen. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Brand Ambassadors. Please join Merritt Hamilton Allen and Gary Potterfield for another edition next Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.